0: Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I am joined by Ram Babu Singh, a Salesforce CTA and Associate Director for Accenture in the UK. Through the episode, we explore Ram's early interest in engineering, whether he saw it as a long term career, and how he got started in the Salesforce ecosystem. Ram talks us through the early days as a Salesforce developer and how an on site opportunity in the Netherlands really enabled him to enhance his engineering skill set. Ram has progressed from developer to tech lead and technical architect, so he shares some of the steps he took to improve and grow along the way. He talks about the importance of being out of your comfort zone and asking for feedback, as well as discusses how he manages stress and burnout. Finally, Ram talks about his journey to CTA, how it played out, and the lessons he learned through the process, plus shares how valuable he found the Salesforce community and different groups that helped him achieve his goal. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Ram, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: The pleasure is all mine. I know we've had a lot of your peers on the show before, and I've heard about you, and, um, and I've come across your name a lot, but it's great to have you on the show to explore more about your background and your journey through the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ben. And I have been a regular listener of this podcast as well. Uh, from last two years, I have been listening to this. I have listened almost to all the fantastic guests and, and the questions that you have been asking. And I have benefited from those conversations a lot, which I'll talk as we go through.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm really pleased to hear that you're a listener. I always love having guests on that have listened to the show before. And I'm sure, like we said, there's been a number of your peers. I'm sure you've listened to their episodes and their journeys. But let's explore yours. So um, I know you, um, you studied engineering. You were looking to go down that path from your education. So what was it that first got you excited about engineering? And what did you hope to do with that qualification, that degree?
1: Yeah, so when I was in high school uh, back in India, that we'd have only a limited choice that time that if you are good at maths, you, know, you generally, most likely you will go for the engineering. And if you are good with um, biology or other stuff, you will go with medicine or other stuff. In my high school days, I was very much interested in maths and physics and those, those stuff. So it was kind of clear in terms of career path for me from the very beginning that I'm going to take engineering. So I wrote in the entrance exam and that, that's how I got into engineering. And engineering, I studied uh, in, information technology at that time. So that's how I got into engineering.
0: And when you were studying, was it something that you found came quite naturally to you?
1: No, it was not
0: natural, especially the information technology,
1: because I didn't have uh, very much interaction with, with, you know, the computers and the languages, C, C+, plus whatever was available that time, because we had not studied that in our high school. And when I had taken uh, information technology, it was not out of interest. It was because of the trend at that time that if you score good, you basically go for these, you know, electronics computer science, information technology, they were, because I had heard somehow that these are quite popular. So you should, if you want to make a good career out of it, you should go for these streams. And that's how I had basically picked up uh, information technology. But I, when I started studying, it was not, Easy for me to change and to learn the languages and all those things. It was kind of alien to me that because I had never seen those C, 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 plus and all those different things. So I had to struggle quite a bit in my early days. But then after getting, getting to a certain point, I had developed inter- interest. I started liking that. And then I actually worked to gain more experience on that.
0: And out of interest, you said it wasn't necessarily from interest that you went down that route. Like, what would you have liked to have done if there were more options available to you? What would have been a passion career direction for you at the beginning?
1: Yeah, my father is a police officer, was a police officer, he's now retired now. So I always wanted to go in the public service, you know, I wanted to go towards, follow that route, not particularly the police officer route, but uh, wanted to get into the administration, public service. So that was always the point that, yes, yes, maybe after doing the graduation, I will go and write uh, that exam. Because I was kind of, yeah, it was kind of, whenever I was seeing someone was passing that, uh, you know, we call it IS exam in, in India, it was quite, it uh, is regarded quite high over there. So I wanted to go towards that. Engineering was not on my radar, but uh, mm-hmm. in high school, when we do that, you know, when you get into the college, you basically need to decide where you want to go, whether you want to take science or you, if you want to do something else. And by that time I had developed enough interest, good interest basically in math. So I thought, no. I'll do the graduation in engineering, and after that, I'll decide if I want to do something else.
0: So how did you hear of Salesforce, and, and was it something that instantly kind of interested you?
1: I had joined Infosys as my first company after graduation. And what they do at Infosys is that they basically hire from different parts of, uh, of the technology, different parts of the colleges, and no matter what your background is, they basically train you. On different different stuff and based on their demand what they will have at the time so i was trained in uh, basics basic computer languages like uh, you know the c c plus plus java we had that time and database and then in the advanced training they basically put you on some advanced training like java advanced or dotnet advanced or sap or Oracle. in my advanced training at infosys i was given Salesforce, we call it SFDC back then. You know, that was the first time I had heard about something called Salesforce. Before that, I had, I had never heard. You know, and when we got Salesforce, SF SFDC assigned to us, it was not a choice for us that we wanted to go for Salesforce or SAP or Oracle. It was given to us. You know, so yeah, so that was quite surprising, and we were not happy with that as well when we were allocated SFDC because nobody, you know, none of our None of the members from our batch had heard about that, uh, and that was the first batch at Infosys who were getting trained at SFDc. So it was, it was not something uh, we had planned. But somehow I got into that, and yes, yeah, I stayed there.
0: And uh, did you ever consider asking to be moved or to go into one of the kind of more well-known technologies?
1: Well, it was happening in the very initial days. When we got SFDC, we had some objections as well. We reached out to a couple of guys that, no, can we change the technology to SAP or can we move to PeopleSoft? Because that's what we had heard about by then, you know. Then they told me, uh, no, this is not something you should do. Basically, they connected me to a couple of uh, Salesforce developers uh, over there who were working at Infosys, that how they see their career, you know. So to convince our batch, basically, and because we were asking so many questions that what is his post, you know, it looks like you just log in like a Facebook and you do that stuff, you just customize and do that stuff. We were trained to do the programming earlier and now there was not much programming. You were doing so many things with, uh, with the configuration itself. So I thought, okay, I don't know what kind of career I'm going to have. But they then connected me with uh, so many different uh, Salesforce professionals uh, who explained their journey and what kind of projects they were doing. And then we basically got convinced. Uh,
0: yeah. It must have been pretty scary, actually, at the time when you're you're being asked to do something that you can't see the opportunity, like you can't see the growth. And I guess at the time, learning SAP would have been in many people's minds a lot safer of a career option and a career path. Yeah, but no regrets now. I'm guessing.
1: No, 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 no regret at all. Of course, I, th- I thought no, it was a good decision, and and also at the time when we moved uh, to SFDC. Timing was also good because uh, there were not many successful professionals at that time. So if you do better, it was also a chance for us to evolve. You know, we got opportunities early because of SFDC. Good opportunities like going to the on-site, you know, traveling, having client interaction and all those things early in our career because we were the first takers of SFDC. There were not many options available at that time.
0: Had you always, had leaving and uh, working abroad and um, uh, working onshore, had that always been something that you were aspiring to do?
1: Well, I didn't even know that this is an option back in my engineering days or when I got into, uh, you know, when we were getting trained at Infosys, We didn't know that what kind of... uh, work structure are there how do people work in it i I'm, I'm the first one from my family and from my friend circle in my who went into engineering so i didn't have much background but uh, when i uh, joined infosys and when after getting training when i was deployed to the project and that's when i understood that okay people work from on site as well because you need to have basically a balance that two people would be there at on-site working with the client. They would be having client interaction, and then you are supporting them and working with them in the team from offshore and that was a real opportunity when i was talking uh, sometimes i was talking to the client as well directly because i was from salesforce so not many people were there at onsite. also who knew salesforce so i was the guy uh, who was basically talking to the client side as well so that's when i got to know that okay this is something we could explore We got people who were there at onsite. they were talking about different uh, experiences not only in terms of work culture but the culture and the country they were living in so so many different experiences they were talking about and they were talking highly about those things and that's when I thought yes we, we can explore that opportunity as well given the chance and then I woke towards that.
0: And you, you went to the Netherlands so um, what did you gain in terms of your skill set or just what, what did you get from that experience?
1: Yeah I considered going to Netherlands uh, as one of the biggest rewarding experience for me in my career the reason I'm saying this is because uh, when I went there, I was just having three and a half years of experience in my whole professional journey. I went there in 2014 and I was a senior developer in India back then, you know, but it was for an American company, a um, well-known American electric car company over there for Netherlands. And the team structure was quite unique for me because I'm, I was the first one from Infosys who was sent for that client. And... Uh, when I was going, I remember one conversation from my manager from India that because you are the first one who is going for the clients, either you are going to sink or you are going to make it big, you know? So that was the conversation I had. He had motivated me throughout my journey at Infosys. We are still in touch. He He's a very good friend of mine, but that was the conversation we had. So I had some kind of pressure as well that because I'm the first one, first time I'm going outside the country and also... The team structure, what we had at uh, on site that uh, I was placed directly into the client team. You know, I was not part of the Infosys team who was basically supporting them. I was, I was working with the client team directly in that. And I was the only guy in the whole office who knew Salesforce, you know. It was an American company, so most of the things were uh, led from America. But uh, the, we had counterparts over there from the client side. But in Netherlands, I was the only one who knew Salesforce for the whole uh, in the whole office, and we were we were implementing Sales Cloud over there and EU region. We were kind of uh, from Netherlands. We were configuring EU related stuff, what needed to be done. So that was kind of unique experience for me because I had to talk to different people, not only from the technical side, from the business side, also what they were doing, what kind of challenge they were facing. And in terms of my experience, I was a developer, you know. So it was kind of uh, stepping up for me because earlier in my initial days, when I was talking to them, it was, they were telling me that, yes, you you are good. You come up with the options, you suggest solutions. Those are good things, but you're very technical. You know, you would talk in the technical language because I had a developer mindset and in that language, I was basically talking. So that was quite unique, you know, it has a very profound impact on my career because I basically had to understand that how to talk to those people apart from doing my developer job, you know, and then how are you making sure that you are basically implementing the solution by listening to them, the listening to their problem and able to communicate to the audience who didn't know Salesforce. So that was kind of a different experience altogether for me in terms of work. At the same time, it was a great culture. It's very b- good, you know, mm-hmm. very big cultural shock for me as well. Because moving to the Netherlands was altogether a different experience. Learning different uh, languages because we had Dutch there. I didn't. I picked up a couple of words. And then at the same time, ways of working, how people talk, you know, what kind of different culture experience altogether. You know, you learn different things. Food habits were different because in India, I have different things. Over there, it was quite different. So it was altogether a very rewarding journey going to the Netherlands, I'd say.
0: Yeah, nice. And obviously, the business engagement, the consulting skills that you gained are really important. And especially for someone that wants to become an architect, right? You need those skills if you've come from that development background. But you had also come, like, you'd only ever worked with Salesforce at that point, right? So obviously, you'd done your education and you'd completed some training around like C, like you mentioned, but you'd never actually worked in a broader engineering capacity. So how did you, in the early days as a developer, how did you really ensure that your programming skills were i guess keeping up with the broader software engineering expectations and that you were rounding your skill set so that you knew more from an engineering perspective than just salesforce
1: yeah because we were the early takers of salesforce so that had one advantage as well that uh, the guys the senior guys like architect and all those who had moved to salesforce they came from .NET, they came from java mostly java i remember and the in, the, in the first project I, I was working at Infosys, we had one architect, very senior architect, and uh, he was from Java, you know, so he had moved to Salesforce just a few months before us. We did the first project together, you know, and we, we when we were talking to him for anything, because we were quite new, we were just trained in Salesforce admin and basic platform of Salesforce that time. So we had a lot of interaction with that guy and a couple of guys uh, who had moved from the Java backgrounds. Of course, I was there from, uh, I was there as a Salesforce guy, but most of the other guys were from different technologies who had to move to salesforce and they had different experience they didn't want to do certain things the way we had to do in salesforce like when we were trying to implement trigger or when we were trying to write visual force page they had different things in their mind you know that okay now you need to follow a certain pattern because they were as a developer as in, in my early days i was just focus on solving a problem but they were kind of advising no you should think about the scalability Pattern, you know, I was questioning a lot that why do I need to write so many functions? And also, they were the one who had explained me uh, in my initial days. Uh, that's what I would say, and that has basically helped me. And in the later part of the year, I understood that okay, those are the concepts I had learned uh, are basically helping me. At the same time, when I moved to Netherlander, uh, I was the only Salesforce guy, but all other guys who in the team had different. Uh, Background: They were working in the same different on different technologies, and when you had to work with them, you were basically having discussion that why says why this solution should be done on Salesforce, why it cannot be done on something else. There has to be a reason. You have to basically justify, and if you provide your own justification. They will provide their own justification, and then they basically discuss. And when you listen to those justifications, that actually enhance your knowledge. That has actually helped me in many ways. In my career at later part of the year as well, I have done many digital transformation projects at Deloitte and at Accenture as well. And I was part of big teams. And those teams were not doing only salesforce. They were doing multiple different things. So, how Salesforce will fit in the whole ecosystem and how Salesforce will interact with other systems and what are the different things you need to think about? I learned from them mm-hmm. by being on those projects, you know, by being on the projects where we had people from multiple disciplines. So, by being in a multiply disciplinary team helped me in my career, even though I had only Salesforce experience, by I learned from the experience of others.
0: When you went over to the Netherlands, your manager said you're either going to sink or, or you'll make a real success of this. I'm guessing you made a success because uh, you uh, you seem to have learned a lot there and obviously your, your career has, has really only gone in one direction. So what do you think made you successful in your first on-site role?
1: Yeah, so the one thing which I had made sure that I should be good at, uh, I should be a good developer because that's what I was being hired for. you know. So And, and I was also considered for the opportunity because I had proved my competency at Infosys uh, in my team. And that's why my manager was ready to send me so he, he had confidence on me and uh, that yes i can do at the same time he was also expecting that if you are going as the first one you should make good impressions so that uh, infosys might get more business and you can become successful so it was kind of he was not trying to scare me but he was trying to tell me the reality that i need to focus on that by just by going to the country you should not be basically deviating yourself from the main work that you are going to do at the same time, because uh, you know, I always believe that you need to be good in your in your own craft. And if you are good at, and I was good at uh, developing to a certain extent, then I had that confidence in that at least in terms of Salesforce experience, development experience, I can manage. And if there would be new things, then of course, uh, I will take help from my managers who would be there, of course, in, in India, but I can definitely reach out to them and then the big community i had over there in at infosys i can definitely take help from them so i had that confidence and that's how i went and it, it played out well over there
0: and you've obviously mentioned like being very capable developer and as i guess uh, technically like it's probably easier to identify your gaps because Um, it might be that you know there's a new technology within the ecosystem you haven't worked with or there's new things coming through that you kind of have to keep up to speed with but from a non-technical perspective with your career how have you identified like gaps and areas for improvement that aren't necessarily technical so not not coding but could be soft skills or you know presentation how have you identified where you need to work on
1: so the first time those things came to my attention was in Netherlands when I was working with a client team I was the guy who only knew Salesforce in the whole building but I had to talk to the different people and that's when you know after working for one month there I, when I was having conversation with my managers from the client side at uh, at Netherlands uh, he actually told me that I'm receiving good feedback about you, the kind of work that you do and the options that you come up with. But at the same time, there is one thing you need to improve is like your language in which you speak, because you whenever you talk to someone from the business side, They think that you are talking in alien language. They don't uh, understand the full thing that you say. And that's when he actually also helped me uh, that how you should do that. He gave me a few pointers that you should focus on that. Then I realized that, yes, uh, it's not only being a developer you should work, uh, you know, you should focus on. I started focusing on those soft skills part as well. And next time, whenever I go to a business analyst or to product owner or I'm talking to the business people who are from finance, I was trying to understand their problems. You know, I was not talking any Salesforce language. I was in just plain, simple language. I was just talking what kind of problems. And then later on, I was basically translating those things. See, it was not very, in it was not a natural conversation. It took some time, you know. It took some time, but uh, after work also, I was kind of practicing those things. That how should I do that? If I need to do a presentation uh, to the client, I was making sure that I do that presentation a couple of times beforehand uh, to myself uh, and before I'll go and do the presentation. Uh, that has actually helped me in many ways. That doing the presentation, you know basically being becoming ready that you become ready uh, what i had found for myself that you were doing the present if you need to talk about something you do talk to yourself and record that and listen to that and see if you are repeating, repeating yourself or if that is making sense to you or not you know and i was talking to my roommates also sometimes and i was trying to explain a few things to him and i was trying to gather feedback basically so gathering feedback, you know, that's how I basically learned these things. Gradually, it evolved.
0: Yeah, nice. It must be um, like being away from home and in that environment and having to engage with business people and not necessarily be comfortable initially. It must have been, um, like your boss said, like a sink or swim environment, right? You either You either learn to do it or you don't.
1: Yeah. It was very, very challenging. At the same time, once you make some effort and then in the next meeting, you see that, okay, that has been received quite well, you get some confidence also. Then you put extra effort, right? And that's what I was doing. So like step by step, you know. And the people I was working with, they were also quite nice. And they also helped me make that transition because they also knew that, uh, yeah, I have a different background. And so they were also talking to me slightly differently you know and then gradually once they had understood that yes I had picked that up so it's like it came from both ways if you make some effort people also try to help you sometimes And that has happened with me yes.
0: So in your career you've gone from being a developer to a technical lead and obviously now an architect so what has helped you on that journey in terms of how have you made those progressions and have you been comfortable each time you've made that step up? Uh, not uh, not
1: always. I was comfortable uh, when I was in India. I was mostly a senior developer, but uh, Netherlands from senior developer, I became a lead because I was kind of managing. After some a certain point, I was kind of managing some workload and some uh, team lead activity as well. And I had uh, I had couple of guys uh, who were working with me after me uh, at that at that client. Then I came to. Deloitte. I moved to UK with Deloitte, and I was, I was I joined Deloitte as a senior consultant. That was mostly a tech lead role for me. So it was good at that at that extent that I was able to manage uh, uh, my workload. I was also able to review the code and everything. What my peers were doing, were working with me. That was good. But I always wanted to become architect after developer and after tech lead. That was a natural thing. I was looking at. But I had some gaps as well. When I was seeing an um, architect on my projects, I was seeing that they were quite good at presenting different solution options and re- defending those solutions, so, you know, whatever they were recommending. So those things were not something I was good at, especially from the technical development point of view. Yes, I could defend my. I code, what I have written, the trigger pattern, and all those different things. But nobody was asking me to defend that. But the thing that you kind of need to defend in, generally in the technical architect space that the solution, before it you, you are going to implement any solution in Salesforce, you need to basically decide what you're going to implement. And that has to come with some consideration that you, you are considering a number of different things, and then you have become basically implementing that in Salesforce. So those things I need to learn. And that was kind of a step up with me. I I was working with the architect uh, and I was kind of, I was following him, what he does uh, very closely. Then I asked him, okay, at certain point, can I go and present myself? You know, that was kind of going out of your comfort zone. Nobody was asking me to do that, you know, but, you know, I did it. I asked him, can I do this small part? Can I go this and do the presentation myself, you know? Just to get confident because I wanted to get into that space quickly. There was some kind of inspiration that uh, that yes, I have to, I have to develop in that space. I have to become a good architect. At the same time, I have to attain the CTA title. You know, I had learned by the time. So that's how it worked for me, basically.
0: So it seems to me like you've been in a way kind of comfortable being outside of your comfort zone, which kind of doesn't make sense, but you've kind of explored and put yourself out of there to progress and kind of knowingly done that to make that career progression. But you've also been very open to feedback. And there are two areas that some people struggle with, you know, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, but also being receptive to feedback and taking it on board in order to improve yourself. Are they areas that you've gone and done that out of choice and, and kind of plan to take feedback and look for feedback and also to stretch your comfort zone as much as possible?
1: Yeah, so I always knew that I, I'm a Salesforce guy. I'm just focusing on Salesforce. So, But if I need to become architect, I need to focus on other stuff as well. So that that was something which was very clear to me from the very beginning. And I had seen all that on the projects also that it's not only Salesforce that you work upon, you work on different things. And to do that, basically, you have to learn what others are doing and you have to basically take feedback from others. And that's what I had followed from the very beginning. When I joined Deloitte, I was uh, part of multiple, uh, there, were, there were so many experienced people who were working with me, not only in terms of technical people, but business people, business analysts, and they were quite good in, in their own area. And somehow I felt that yes, I need to fill that gap as well. And to fill that gap, you basically need to understand the gaps first, and then you need to talk to the people. And that's what I was doing. You know, I was very much motivated uh, by the time, and also the kind of team I had. They were also kind of motivating me uh, most of the time. If you go and ask them, they were giving they were giving you so many suggestions. And then uh, yes, and also at Deloitte, also uh, I worked on multiple. Big transformation projects, and that was something I will say had very good impact on my career in terms of developing my architecture skills. Because you, I was a tech lead first, and then I got to went to a project which was quite big where we had people from different background, and when you go and present the solution or talk to them, they basically. Sometimes when you're defending the solution and if they don't accept, they will give you the feedback that yes, why they think that this is not something they will be going forward with. And if you go and work on them and then you come back again, it basically helps. And then maybe after after the meeting also, you can have a conversation that why they thought things were not right, what we should do to improve yourselves. So those kind of conversations, once you do, that has helped me basically because I took those as the feedback and I implemented that. At uh, Deloitte also, we had one good thing. Um, I, along with a couple of other architects and tech leader at Deloitte, we had formed a software, Salesforce engineering team over there. So what we were doing that every time we were connecting every uh, uh, we were connecting fortnightly over there and in that meeting what we were doing that if someone wants to present something about a new topic or if they want to discuss about their project or if they want to just discuss about the sales post releases or anything you know you come you you come to the office you come to a friend, friend, friendly audience to a group of friendly engineers and that's you come stand up and do the presentation. You know, it it was very friendly. Uh, It was a very friendly setup uh, that we had started, and then that has helped people uh, like me going from developer to tech lead and from tech lead to architect. Because basically, that was the first chance you are getting to present something to a friendly audience, and then they will judge you. They will basically give you the feedback, and you know, you get confidence on that so that's how i built my confidence how how should i expose myself when i'm presenting options and uh, giving a recommendation i am i was sure that uh, people will ask me a number of different questions then how are you going to defend yourself those things i learned in the background you know by joining those meetings by presenting in those meetings and raising your hands up in the on the project when there is a chance
0: yeah and again it, it's stepping out your comfort zone right because i guess initially that wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been necessarily 100% comfortable in front of other technical people talking about a solution uh, that you've worked on and uh, having them kind of critique it?
1: Yes, that that definitely helped me in that way.
0: And um, you you mentioned, obviously, you've been working on some major programs of work. I know um, in the consulting world and the consulting um, industry, obviously Salesforce skills are in demand and there aren't too many people around at your level. So I imagine you don't spend too much time on the bench and you, you bounce from one project to another um, quite often. H- how do you manage stress and burnout, especially someone at your level, because there's so much riding on your role, there's so much, there's politics on projects, you've got you know, big teams of people, you've got stress, you've got deadlines to hit, the solution is, um, is yours to defend. H- how do you manage all of that from a stress perspective?
1: Yeah, it's a very good questions. So it's not something uh, which came uh, I was good at initially. You which know? it's it's not something natural to me. In my initial days, I remember that I was putting a lot of lot of extra hours after work to finish some work to become to be ready for the next day and all that. But uh, after after a few years of doing that, I realized that this is not sustainable, you know. And I was also talking to a couple of people who were managing workload quite well, um, especially at uh, at Deloitte, I would say, uh, when I joined big programs, that's when, after a certain point, I understood that, okay, if I need to go longer, I need to basically uh, do some changes in my routine because I was taking a lot of work because out of my own interest as well that I wanted to learn, but at a certain point, it became too much, you know, that I was taking too much and I am not able to basically... Uh, take care of my health and everything. So that's when uh, I started. Someone told me that you should make a diary and uh, you should basically prioritize your work uh, accordingly. Uh, So what has worked for me, especially that I fixed a boundary for myself from last few years, not, not before that, from last two, three years. I have set a boundary for myself that this is what I'm going to do. Whenever I start the work, I basically decide that, okay, what is going to be my priority for today and for the whole week? And I also set aside one hour each day for the focused work where I just concentrate on the work that I need to do, which can be done only by myself. You know, uh, that has also helped me. And that I do in my in my morning hours when I'm most effective. So whenever I go to the work i basically do focus on those things and then rest of the non-priority or less priority stuff later this is a very simple routine but this has helped me managing my workload and managing my task you know and now i'm also quite vocal about these things as well that whenever i have to do a lot when then i also seek help i ask my mentors i ask my team members that this is a This is too much. And, you know, we manage accordingly. Earlier, I was not good at this. I was not telling anyone that I cannot take more work because uh, I thought, okay, I need to do all these things. But now I have changed the way I'm working. So that has basically helped me in managing my workload and stress.
0: Yeah, I think earlier in your career, it's easier to find that a challenge, right? Because you see it as an opportunity to impress and, you know, learn and develop. And I think a lot of people would struggle earlier in their career to push back and say, I've got too much work on my plate, especially if they see themselves as someone that really wants to progress within that business and learn and grow. And um, I think it's really important for everyone to know when they, they need to tap out and say, this is too much. But it's difficult to actually have that conversation and get to that point of knowing yourself well enough to know when that moment is.
1: Yeah, especially for me, it was kind of a bit challenging because it was me who was who was asking for more, right? I wanted to transition myself from a developer to tech lead and then from tech lead to architects. So I wanted to take that work. Nobody was asking me that you go and take this work. But it was me who, who was the driving force, you know. So it was me who was taking more and more work. But after a certain point, it I uh, you know, it was kind of too much. I had realized uh, and then I had to basically a uh, step away and I had to basically prioritize I had I changed the way I was working you know um, I was not seeking any help I was not basically delegating the work everything was on me but now I'm learning those things and I have become better at it much better than what I was before
0: and uh, talking of taking on lots of work and big challenges and uh, putting a lot onto your plate let's talk about your CTA journey because there aren't many um, you know bigger commitment in the salesforce world and going down the, the cta path and the investment of time and effort and um, tears and all sorts i would imagine go into that journey so what was it about the cta that appealed to you and when did the appeal start and when did how did the journey play out
1: well i, I learned about cta program in 2016 uh, what happened in 2016 that uh, i was still with uh, infosy at that time and uh, I had completed five zero one, so we had uh, in, I because I, I was developer in my initial days, so I had learned in very uh, in in my initial days that we have something called five zero one advanced developer. You know, by the time now nowadays we have platform developer too, but earlier we had advanced developer. So that was something which was regarded very high because there were not many developers who had that credential. But I always had that dream that yes, someday uh, I will have that. And when I went to Netherlands and after work, I I had some time, so I had actually started working on that. Nobody had told me. It's just that I wanted to prove myself that yes, I can be the best as well, you know, best of the breed. So in 2016, I completed five zero one successfully. And when I told my managers and everyone, we had a practice of around 3,000 back then over there. And I was the first or second guy who had that credential in the in the whole practice. And after announcing the results, so many people had actually reached out to me and they actually appreciated me. You know, I, I was feeling high that, OK, I have done something great. You know, I did it for myself to prove myself, but it had a larger impact on the whole whole company because they were telling me that this would basically help them as well in many ways and help me also and so many people had reached out to me because of that and after that someone my one of my mentors had told me that there is a cta program also you can think about not right now but for the future if you want to go to was architect that was the first time i had actually googled what is cta and all that you know i didn't know uh, anything about the cta at the same time, I was changing company as well. I was moving to UK from Netherlands, and when I joined here, uh, when I came to UK in in the first year, I was worked as a lead, and then I moved to the architect. I by the time I had gained enough knowledge that what are the things required to go to the CTA, you know, at least in terms of what are the prerequisite, you know, because by the time we had designers' exams also, which had come out earlier, it was MCQ, so I started giving those. Uh, Uh, you know, designer exams, yeah. So by 2017, I had completed uh, all the designer exams, 2017 and, and then Deloitte, actually, uh, we had a program with Sebastian Wagner that, okay, and also We Suzanne had launched a six O program, I guess, in that year itself. And we were the kind of uh, first or second batch. And Seb was basically training. So I was a part of that batch who got, the first trend, training of 601, we had basically two-day workshop somewhere in play. We went there and we had that workshop. Only those person who could have attended the workshop who had completed all the designer prerequisite first. And in that workshop, I understood that, okay, if I need to go for the board, I need to fill a long gap. You know, it's not only about finishing your designer exams. You cannot be ready, just 25% of the work. That was the first time I really understood what CTA is and how much time it will take, how much effort it will take, you know. Uh, When the workshop finished, uh, we were asked, okay, now you have finished two days of workshop, how much time do you think you are going to take? And uh, at that time, I had said, okay, I am going to take another 18 months to to do the preparation because I had thought, okay, I had a big gap and there's no time and everything. I, I thought, okay, that much would be required because, I was in consulting, I was traveling a lot, you know, every week I had to travel. So based on that, I had calculated over 18 months. Um, I had That was the kind of time frame I had decided for myself. Uh, but uh, it didn't happen. You know, I, um, I made some plans after attending that workshop. I made some plans that this is how I'm going to do this. This is how I set that up and everything. I, I was studying, but I was not very consistent. You know, one day I was studying for four hours or two hours. Next day, I was not studying at all because of another commitments. So it took longer. And also at the same time, I was traveling also. So it was not happening. You know, I was not getting time or I was not planning it well. It was not something I had planned very, very carefully to how how to become consistent. I had not uh, onboarded my family, my wife, that I am going to do this. She knew that I'm going to do this someday, but uh, uh, it's not something that I had made a plan that, yes, yeah, this is what I'm going to do this, you know. And also there was one thing that uh, we didn't have many CTM mentors at uh, in my at my company locally. So we didn't know how much it takes. There was a couple of people who were there who had gone through uh, that training, who had attended board earlier, but there were not many successful uh, candidates. So we didn't know how much it requires. And at the same time, in 2019 and or 2020, what we were seeing that a couple of people had passed CTA and they were talking about their journey. We had a couple of YouTube videos from uh, Steve Simpson, you know, and then from where they had talked about um, how they became CTA and there are a couple of fantastic videos from Steve Simpson also where they have, he had talked about the whole CTA mindset and the ninja and all those different stuff, you know, so I actually watched those videos and, and there was a group as well, Ladies Be Architect which Jemma had started with that is where she had uploaded a couple, uh, uh, couple of videos where people had attended, I mean, they were giving mocks and they had uploaded so there were a few uh, Publicly available information on CTA. So I actually watched those and gained some knowledge, you know, and gained some, something that well, how should I structure? I remember, especially the one YouTube where uh, Karisma Lalmani was basically saying that uh, you, if you have a target, uh, you basically set a date and then do the backward planning. Uh, and that's what basically stuck with me. And what happened in December 2020 when we had a pandemic in March? Uh, everything was set down. We were asked that we are not traveling anymore. And I had to be at home all the time. And that's when I thought, okay, maybe this is the time I can focus on my studies because I was having time. I was not doing anything else after the work. So that was the time I thought, okay, now I can seriously do the planning and I won't be disturbed in March. So that's when I decided that, okay, in March, this is the March in December 2020, I'm going to appear for the board. And for that, whatever steps are set, and then I created some plans. And then I also talked to a couple of uh, people who were like-minded people at my company who wanted to do this CTA. I onboarded them, uh, reached out to them, and then I said, we are going to study together. Because by the time I had understood that you need to do that in a group, you can't do all these things alone. So, yes, we had uh, formed a group of three, four guys at uh, at my company. And we, what we were doing, that we were connecting every morning from 6.30 to 8.30 before the work will start. We were doing that study group every day, you know. And then, and to do that, uh, I consider myself as a morning person. So, and what we did that I was getting up at four every day. And then I was doing some self-study myself. And then from 6.30 to 8.30, we were having that study group. That was very consistent because we were kind of group of three, four. We were kind of committed that, yes, we want to do this. And we all had time because nobody was going anywhere. Everyone was sitting at home. So there was not much distraction. So that's what we committed. And then gradually, once we become better at, uh, you know, uh, uh, once we become better in terms of doing mocks to ourselves, when we become comfortable in the group that, yes, now we can present our mocks to the wider forum as well. And that's when I started talking to the leaders at Deloitte that, yes, and now we are the four guys or five guys who are working towards the CTA. Now we want some kind of support as well in terms of taking the mocks from the senior architects and then maybe access of CTA as well, if someone can come and help us in those those things. so They also actually helped me and then we started the, giving the mocks uh, formally and maybe after the work also maybe 5 to 7 we'll plan mocks every week or every two weeks and not every week everyone was ready to take but i was quite regular i wanted to do that because i had put so much effort i said that if nobody was taking the shot i was saying yes i'll go even though i had to repeat the same mock i will say that yes i'll go you know so in the initial days i was getting a lot of feedback uh, i was not able to focus and sorry the finish presentation it was So many, so many things I had to learn. I was not very good at from the very beginning. But gradually, you know, I was focusing a lot on that and with the help of the group and with all the feedback. There were no CTA who had judged me by the time. But uh, when when we had to plan the board, we actually talked to Suzanne with the help of our, our company leads. And we basically said, And that time, there was a new program which had come up like 602 diagnostic program earlier it was not there in my year in 2020 it was introduced so my company said that yes you should basically go through that program it was optional then that it was not required it was optional you can either go through the
0: which is not required which is now required is like the prerequisite. Yes. They they assess your ability for the review board, and it's like a mini mock. Is that right?
1: Yes, it's a mini mock. You won't be judged by three judges, which happens in the in the real board. It would be just one judge who will sit with you and who you will work on the sort of scenario, and then they will give you the very comprehensive feedback. So it's very good. It's a very good step. So that happened. I had convinced my leader that okay, send me for that program. And by that time, I had also had one mock with. Uh, Deloitte CTA, who had given me a green signal that, yes, you can go. And then my leader approved and uh, Deloitte approved. And then we go for that. Uh, we went for the CTA. And then after getting the green signal from that, I appeared for the board in December 2020. The thing that I had planned that I'm going for December. So <laughs> I had to work a lot for that in terms of convincing, in terms of proving. It was not very easy. But finally, it happened. I appeared for the board in December And then, um, yeah, and after a week, I got the result and it was not what I was expecting. I was expecting that I may pass, but it was a two-section retake. It was not bad as well. It was two-section retake I had got in data and security.
0: So when you say you expected to pass, or you hoped you would, obviously you hope, everyone hopes they pass. but did you leave the review board feeling that you had passed?
1: No no not after giving the board that I was thinking that I will pass. I knew that I after giving the board that I will not fail at the same time I was not very much convinced that I was I'm going to pass, you know. It was I was on 50-50 yeah, because I had done well in the exam because uh, I, that's what I thought myself. But when I got the result it was not surprising to me as well based on the feedback that I had got. Yeah. Uh, but I was also happy that at least in my first attempt, uh, I have got to this level, you know, I was happy because of that. And so many people also told me that you have done well, like uh, Johan, who uh, I remember getting messages from them. They were the one who I had reached out to uh, before appearing to the board. If they wanted to take my mock and also they had taken one mock with me, you know,
0: before my board. So when you had the results and you had the two-section retakes, how do you then re-engage, like, recommit to that process? Because it, it must be so tiring and, and you, know, you must be so overstudying by this point. And you just want, just want it to be over. And then uh, you've got to resit two sections. So how did you go about making sure that you were ready and, and prepared and, and that you were going to pass these the next time around?
1: Well... It needed some time because I had to move my house and all those different things This for 2022. And also my wife was very much kind of exhausted with my studying all the time because I was not going anywhere with her. I was just focusing on my study. So more than me, she wanted me to finish the CTA, you know. <laughs> but yes, uh, I actually, I said, okay, this is what I have done. If I would have failed, maybe I would have not attempted just after that. I would have taken a break. But because I had, I had got the sixth retake, I thought, okay, this is a chance for me. And I'm almost there. And that's what people were telling me that you're almost there. So I thought, okay. And then, then I had started doing the planning and then. By the time there was a group uh, from Netherlands with Kid Runs, I was joining those groups as well. Like they were conducting meetups every week, where on every Friday someone will come and do the presentation, and then you can become judge, you can present, or you can just be in the audience. So I started participating that uh, group. That was the first public group I had from the community. I started joining. So uh, when I joined that few uh, mocks, I had basically judged candidate as well. And in one of the mocks I was uh, judging, it was Jitendra Jha. He was doing the presentation and I was one of the judges. After the presentation, a few days later, he reached out to me. Somehow he would have found out that uh, I also have sex and retake. So and he also had section retake. So he was trying to build a group of section retakers who will study together because we need altogether a different strategy to pass section retake. Because you have half time and you have to do a lot. You need a different strategy. So he basically reached out to me that if you'd like to study together, I all I said yes because that's what I was looking for. Right, that we needed more people, like-minded people, and everyone knows Jitendra Jaha. So if message is coming from Jitendra if you like to study together, I, I said yes, without thinking. Then we actually formed a group uh, of four, uh, we call it CTA Gang of Four now. We all are CTA. So we have uh, Mo and then Varuna and So Varuna and Jitin Jha, they both were there in USA. I was there in UK and Mo was there in, in Australia at that time. So there was a real challenge in terms of time zone that how we are going to manage the time zone. Because we lived in three different continents, right? So then, but yes, we, we from now worked, out, worked that out and we studied together every night for six months. And we appeared for the board again in March, April time. And then, yes, we all passed.
0: Wow. The one thing, I mean, there's two things that I've taken from the journey, and I think one is obviously the amount of commitment, which I'm, I'm well aware of because obviously I've had other CTAs on the podcast that talk about that and, and no one has ever said it was easy and straightforward. I think like the amount of commitment and time and effort is just so substantial. And I think that's really important for people to understand if they're looking to go down that journey. It's not like something you can switch on and off. It's like a pure dedication for a long period of time and then the second part is community right because you you've really thrown yourself into the community and um i know there was a touch of uh, fortune that jutendra was on that call and obviously that community group kind of um, stemmed from there but you were you were utilizing all of the different tools and, and platforms and videos and everything that the community offers you made use of so for anyone that maybe hasn't been doing that but has started the salesforce cta journey or might be a bit hesitant to you know present at these groups or be a judge like what would you say to them about the value of being in the community on this journey yeah first of
1: all i and that's a very really good question also and I, you know i Consider myself as a community CTA because I am the one who learned everything from the community and then become CTA just by learning from the community, you know, and by getting engaged. In the community, before I met Jitendra, and when I was doing the presentation, I had uh, actually seen number of different videos from Johan, from, uh, from Steve Simpsons, and we had CTA office hours, Steve Benz, you know. So those were th- these are incredible resources if you are going for the CTA, and if you just want to learn about the architects, you know. And people people talk a lot. Uh, you know, the people who have become CTA, they, they are sending a lot of information. They talk about their own journey. A couple of people have also. Uh, published on the post uh, if they have failed also they had had written their experiences and why they failed and what they could have done better you know there are so many public information available that if you are uh, if you are doing the solutioning what are the different things you should have in the mind if you have the what kind of color scheme you should follow what kind of so many public informations are available now because I, I didn't have any access of any mentor or any CTAs, I was relying on those. Whenever a new CTA was becoming and he was sharing their journey, I, I was look I was reading those very seriously. And whenever there was some kind of public events where CTA was coming and then they were doing some presentation, I was I was attending those events, you know, or maybe I was seeing the recorded information on YouTube. And then I started um, joining meetups and that has actually opened door for me because that's when basically like-minded people were coming and joining and they were asking questions. Yes, and I also met Jitendra and others because of the community, right? If I would not have attended those events, I would not have known those guys. So it has actually helped me in many ways. And after becoming CTA also, we all fully decided that, yes, uh, we will uh, contribute back to the community. So, and that's when we started with CTA Gang of Four and and we are helping others on their journey on CTA. So, of course, you don't need to restrict yourself that you don't have a CTA mentor or how do you start, from where you start, because you can always start if you want to start. There is always a path. Starting is a difficult thing. And after that, you know, step by step, you basically progress once you start getting the feedback. And if you ask if you get, that's what I have in my in my mocks also when i was in the final days of preparation i was reaching out to so many ctas if they can take mock with me and a couple of them responded yes so it has helped me yeah
0: yeah and that's it that's what i found like everyone or you know i I can't say everyone because i've not met everyone but a large percentage of the ctas in the market do want to give back and do want to help other people on their journey and um yeah just by reaching out and you know valuing their time and not wasting anyone's time but showing that you know you're keen and hungry like you're very likely to get some support from ctas if you contact them yeah
1: yeah it's very much nowadays our Salesforce community is so strong, and most of the people are willing to support. And if you see, there are so many fantastic community events also. And in almost all the community, there would be at least one or two CTA related presentations. And then there are so many things to learn from those. You know, people talk about their experiences, their journey, and all those different things. Uh, if you learn them, and it's very valuable.
0: And on, on that note, then, if anyone does want to reach out to you and ask any questions or um, some support along their journey, where's the best place to contact you? Well,
1: first of all, LinkedIn is the best place for me, for anyone to contact regarding anything. Uh, at the same time, we have also started CTA Gang of War website, uh, Gang of War, so they can also reach out to us or not to any of us from that as well. But LinkedIn is the preferred uh, way for me.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge, your journey, your experience, and yeah, talking us through the path that you've taken. And I'm sure a lot of people will be taking inspiration from that. So thank you so much, Ram.
1: Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure talking to you.
0: My pleasure. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.